Jim Conley, your host for the Grow Microbiology podcast. Have a fun show planned for you today. I'm actually going to repurpose an entire podcast that Valerie Kramer did on the Succeed in AP podcast, talking to Rob Brooker, the leading authority in the world on active learning. And I hope that you enjoy this episode, and we'll talk to you soon. We always talk about inspiring you on this podcast, and I'm confident the topic and guests that we have today will do just that. And at the very least, it will definitely get you thinking. So we've heard the buzzword and we've heard a lot about active learning. So what is it? And should you do it? And why? Well, we have brought Rob Brooker, who is an author on our biology and genetic textbooks. And he also teaches biology and genetics at the University of Minnesota. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, how you got into teaching, and uh, your philosophy of teaching. Okay, sure. Well, I teach at the University of Minnesota. I teach in pretty large classes. And my philosophy is basically to try to help students think like scientists, so to focus on critical thinking skills, because eventually they're going to go get jobs. And in jobs... You know, you really need to be able to figure things out and think like scientists. And so that, that's my main teaching philosophy. Fantastic. So you've really created a unique environment for your students and have found some pretty great success. So tell us a little bit about that and how you've incorporated active learning into what you do and, and how you've put it all together. Okay, thanks. So First, I should probably define active learning for for those of you who who may have different impressions of what it is. So for me, uh, active learning is about engaging students in class. And, you know, if I were to rephrase what active learning is, it's having students figure stuff out. Uh, And so a lot of my class time is spent doing that. And so what I've been trying to do is to give students challenging situations where they have to figure things out. And then some of the easier stuff that I used to lecture over is now uh, either the students can learn that from reading the textbook or uh, I typically have online lectures for the stuff that I would consider uh, more easy. Great. So sometimes instructors will say, well, you know, I don't have, my classroom's not set up for that. And I know you've shared with us at the McGraw, at McGraw Hill that you actually have a really great setup. Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky. <laughs> I admit that. Um, so my classrooms, uh, this, they're not traditional uh, classrooms. The students sit at tables uh, with usually seven or eight students per table. And uh, So it's easier for the students to interact in that environment. However, I've done active learning in stadium seating, and it works just fine. I would say some adjustments you might need to make would be having smaller groups so students can maybe just interact with a few people that are sitting close to them. And another difference is in a stadium situation, the active learning exercises themselves are oftentimes put up on the screen because in a stadium situation, it's more difficult to pass papers out and and that sort of thing. And then another um, modification is to um, turn in their answers. You know, again, in a big big class in a stadium thing, it's just hard to roam around and collect answers. So you could have them submit uh, their answers via clickers. So those are just some suggestions, but there's a lot of good suggestions out there on the on the internet as well. Great. So do you get any pushback from students? You do get pushback <laughs> from students. How do you handle that? <laughs> well, first of all, 
I'll say two things about that. One is there's there's ways to minimize the pushback. And one way is to um, let your students know that um, active learning um, increases learning gains and that you're doing it because you want them to develop critical thinking skills. So when they realize that you're doing it for the right reasons, the pushback is less. So that's one issue. The other issue, when you get pushback, I had a student one time in class, <clears throat> excuse me, out loud, uh, say that um, she was paying tuition for me to teach her the material. And, you know, the whole class was horrified. But then I thought for a second, I said, no, I think you're paying tuition for me to help you learn. So I, I think it's really all about learning. And, and so when students appreciate that it's active learning and they're learning, that, that it, there's pushback, but there's ways of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great. So what do you have recommendation-wise for maybe instructors that have an all-online class? They actually don't have students face-to-face. So I actually teach genetics and um, biology online, and I've been doing it for a long time. With online classes, there's some two things that have made a huge difference in terms of student success. Number one is my online students are put into teams or groups, as are my, as are my day school class. But it, it really impacts the online students because it gives them a sense of being in a class and interacting with people. They generally interact, you know, in the virtual world. Um, sometimes they Skype, but a lot of times they're doing things in Google Docs. So that, that really made a huge difference in terms of the success of my online students. Uh, another issue has been... Um, I've come to realize, and and, at University of Minnesota, we have a really good online distance learning department, so a lot of my ideas really came from them, but is to develop a presence. So I I sometimes jokingly refer to it as pesterment, but uh, every, every few days I just use the announcement section of our course website and say stuff, you know, like... Don't forget, we have an exam coming up, or, you know, I notice a lot of you missed this one question. Let's go through it. So, you know, online students can sort of easily be, uh, you know, feel lost and forgotten. So you, you really want to just come up with excuses to interact. That's great. Yes. So are there tools out there for instructors who might want to get started with active learning in their classroom or recommendations or steps that you have for them? There's lots of things. At, one thing I really, really, really want to emphasize is that you you don't really need to make many active learning activities from scratch. There's um, publishers like McGraw-Hill provide active learning activities for various courses. There's a website called Mer- Merlot, like the wine, dot org, nice. which has a lot of active learning activities. There's a great journal called Course Source. It's great. It's you, People submit papers there, and they go through active learning activities, and they even provide instructor tips, and and some of the articles uh, provide data for how effective they are. The thing about using activities that have already been tried is, number one, you get a sense of how long they're going to take, and number two, you know that other people have tried them and they've been reasonably successful. Mm-hmm. Great. So you have talked a little bit of switching gears here, but you've talked to our team about vision and change. And uh, can you tell us just what this is and how it relates to active learning and how it all comes together? So so vision and change, uh, 
initiated from NSF and then it was uh, somewhat taken over by AAAS. It involved regional meetings. Um, I attended the meeting in Chicago and a national meeting in D.C., which I attended. And and the national meeting was about 500 people. So it it was an effort to try to identify ways to improve um, education in biology, not just not just the freshman biology course, but all biology courses. And so they made some recommendations, and one of the recommendations was to focus on core concepts in biology, just five of them. And then the other recommendation was to focus more on skill development. And so a big aspect of skill development is to do uh, more active learning in classes. So I would say to... To a very significant extent, vision and change has really um, vitalized the movement to incorporate more active learning into classrooms. Nice. Okay. That's a great philosophy to to go back to with vision and change. And so I kind of skipped over this, but we said all the pushback you get from students, but I'm sure you get a lot of really great feedback. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to sound negative about active learning. And, And I'm not bragging here, but it... University of Minnesota, we some of our genetics courses are active learning, some of them aren't, and and the active and that's true of other courses, cell biology, and some other courses. The active learning courses fill up much faster than the non-active learning courses. Not all students love it, but in general, once they appreciate the purpose behind it. It's just a lot more fun. They come to class, they're with their peers, they're working on stuff, the classroom's loud. It's just a very fun, good learning environment as opposed to, you know, an environment where students feel like they're passively taking notes the whole time. So, you know, I think from the student's perspective, most but not all really love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's the students who are a little less engaged or you have a leader in the group and maybe a follower. How do you do that? How do you make up for that? You know, for the active learning activities that you use, generally speaking, uh, it depends how big your groups are. So mine are usually like seven or eight or so. They tend to be designed in ways that the students can split up the work, work in smaller pairs, but then they come together and and they realize that the things they're learning on the active learning activity could ultimately be on exams or quizzes. So they realize that even though they're working as a group, one person can't dominate. they got to get it all done. <laughs> uh, but they also have to teach each other all the parts. So it's very, very interactive. Great. Okay, so uh, anything else that you'd like to share before we sign off? I know instructors have really begged for active learning. How do I do it? You know, what what are some, just some advice that you would give? Uh, as far as advice goes, I'd rather, I don't want to give too much advice here, but I would just say go for it. You know, it's fun. I love going to class with active learning. I've gotten to know my students. You know, I roam around and just help them mostly during class. It's just a really fun environment. The first few times I did it and the first year or two, yeah, I crashed and burned a few times, but so what, you know? I don't think my students felt bad about that. They, you know, they accepted it's okay to make mistakes and they knew that I was new at it, but, you know, they appreciated the effort and, and so, you know, if you're, if you're nervous about it, just go for it. And you said you were already doing active learning before the term active learning even came out. Yeah, 
So I teach genetics. So genetics, we, we were always solving problems in class. So when, when it came out and there's, uh, we should be doing active learning, I was kind of already doing it, so I was a little bit comfortable. In majors, biology, not so much. That mm-hmm. was more, more traditional lecturing. So that, that was a pretty major change for me. And all of these things, too, can be applied from biology, genetics to every discipline. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Non-majors, biology... You know, I, I, there isn't a there isn't a topic in biology or any of the preclinical disciplines that um, active learning wouldn't help. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Rob. You are such an inspiration, and it's always great to hear uh, your perspective on active learning. Well, thank you, Valerie and Rob Brooker, for sharing all of your insights on active learning. It is so exciting. When you look at STEM education, we have so many opportunities to bring active learning into the classroom. And, you know, there are always going to be some bumps here and there, but the payoffs are huge. And I'm really excited about how we can do this in the field of microbiology. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to us today. Hope that uh, if you get a chance, if you're listening on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you're consuming your podcasts, if you'd be so kind as to either leave us a review or share the podcast with someone else, that'll really help us get the word out. And if you have a topic idea for a future show, feel free to email me at james.connely at mheducation.com, and we'll get your idea on the show. We're going to be publishing, too, something that's really exciting. We're going to be doing a top 10 list for your students to use in their class to be more successful as a microbiology student. So heads up on that. We did some crowdsourcing on uh, the top 10, and we're really excited about that. It's going to be a a thing that we're going to roll out and really campaign on here in the upcoming year for McGraw-Hill Education in Microbiology. You guys have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon.